Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all our Sunday school peeps here. Um, let's pray as we continue in our study of unity in the church. And we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for, again for our time here together this morning. I pray that you remove any distractions as we look into your word on another aspect of church unity and what that means. Lord, please help your word and your word alone speak to our hearts and minds and help it grow our knowledge and understanding and wisdom of what it means. Lord, continue to sanctify us in your word because your word is truth. We pray this in your son's name, amen. So as we move along, today's topic is church leadership and um, a taboo word um, of, of late is submission. Um, submission for the sake of unity. And so we're gonna address that. And as uh, today, as we consider church leadership and specifically the interaction between the leadership and the congregation, um, today's class on leadership focuses on the personal side of church leadership, specifically what church members can do to promote unity through faithful submission and encouragement of leadership. Now, as an elder, I understand that this topic can be received in a matter that seems a little bit self-surfing, right? As a, an elder coming up and, and talking to you about this, but this topic, however, is a biblical topic and we will address it from scripture. Um, this is not stuff that we're just making up, amen? Um, and while we are elders here, uh, we are also members of this body along, alongside all of you, amen? So let me begin by, by getting some of your thoughts on the following question. How can church members relate to their leaders in ways that promote unity and bring glory to God? And you guys can answer if you, if you would like. How can church members relate to their leaders in ways that promote unity and bring glory to God? Be submissive. Prayer, very good. Praying for their leaders. <laughs> Anything else that comes to mind? No, don't gossip, right? That is very good. Say words that encourage instead of tear down, yes. Give grace, great answer, yes, grace, grace upon grace, obey. What's that? Be, yeah, be, yes, be an example, that's correct. All these are great answers. So in your handout, I think Hebrews 13, 17 is printed out there, and if it's not, um, that's gonna be our, our main focus, that verse this morning. Hebrews 13, 17, it tells us, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Keep watch. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be no, of no advantage to you. So here's scripture. Um, these are strong words. Um, obey, submit. Uh, particularly in today's egalitarian individualistic culture, isn't it? 
Um, these are words that the world generally doesn't like unless it's um, about the individual. Yes, obey me and submit to me, but I won't do it to you, right? Um, that's not a biblical standard. So these, these words aren't simply to maintain order. We read that submission in the church is to our advantage. It is through submission that we model the godly humility that characterizes us as Christians. It is through submission that we maintain unity in the midst of disagreement, um, demonstrating, and, and here's the key, demonstrating that our shared calling in Christ is more important than differences of opinion. Do you agree with that? Amen. Ultimately, our trust or confidence in those who are over us is much more than mere trust or confidence in men, for the very best of men will fail, won't they? Instead, it's a confidence in Christ and Christ alone, who gives us leaders to his church and works through them for our blessing. So members are, are members to agree with everything that comes from the elders of their church? Generally, no. They, are they just simply to say yes from, uh, to every whim of doctrine that they preach? No. The obvious answer is no, hopefully. Um, trusting the leadership doesn't mean that we take the opinions of our elders as truth without any question. Um, everything must be tested by what? The truth, true scripture. <clears throat> so we'll start today with what we can do positively to encourage the leadership of our church, making their work a joy as we read Hebrews 13. Then we'll devote the rest of the class to examining how we respond when we disagree with the leadership in the church. Our prayer is that today's study will encourage you and will help us all to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace as we all profess. All right, so uh, bullet point number one or two, make their work a joy, make their work a joy. One of the best things we can do to promote unity in our church is to help our leaders see their work as a God-given delight. Of course, this is complicated by the fact that both leaders and members are what? Sinners, yes. But recognizing all of that, our calling in scripture, as we saw a few minutes ago, is to what? Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to any of you. So we should never underestimate the connection between a congregation's attitude and their, the leader's ability. So many, unhappy, so many unhappy church situations would be resolved if congregations saw their leaders as partners, as partners in the church's great calling to reflect God's glory rather than as adversaries that they need to overcome, right? So seeing them as partners instead of adversaries. Right, this isn't the corporate mentality of a lot of workplaces where there's management versus the employees. Um, I addressed that hopefully in the beginning, we are all members of this church alongside one another. So there shouldn't, shouldn't be a divide of that, that mentality of the corporate mindset. <clears throat> Lost my spot. Okay, leaders, they're human beings. Uh, they struggle with indecision just like everybody else, they find that the decisions they need to make exceed their wisdom and experience. <laughs> they can be hurt, they can be discouraged um, in their work by unaware or insensitive church members. 
So often we implicitly assume that our leaders must be perfect and that they are perfect, which is incorrect. (laughs) Then when we see signs of their imperfection, either in sin or questionable decisions, or, you know, maybe you just don't like a couple of their characteristics and they annoy you, we feel empowered to what? Ridicule, scoff, or show discontentment toward leadership. Remember that you are the object of the leader's careful watch. They are keeping watch over your souls, as Hebrews 13, 17 says. God values our souls. Therefore, he appoints leaders to warn us of spiritual danger. So how do members help leaders do their jobs? Let me offer a few ideas here for your reference. These are based on a book by a couple of men, one Wayne Mack and David Swavely, um, called Life in the Father's House, A Member's Guide to a Local Church. So point number one, believe in Jesus Christ and walk in obedience. The first point is obvious, um, but it is always, it always must be the starting point. It's a very basic. We can encourage our leaders by believing in the gospel, number one, and by walking in obedience to God's word. Think of John's statement in 3 John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in what? The truth. There's joy in seeing God's hand working in members to conform them more in the image of Christ. There's joy in seeing God's people use their gifts for the edification of the body. There's joy in seeing members share the love of Christ with one another. And there's joy in seeing saints persevere in the faith through difficult times as well. So, of course, how, how will church leaders be encouraged by our delight and growth in Christ if we keep it to ourselves. Let the elders know what Christ is doing in your life. And then, and when they ask how you're doing, you, you can tell them it's okay, right? It's, they, they, we all genuinely care. Um, hopefully it's, it's beyond the, uh, oh, hey, how's it going? Right? Good, 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 good. And then, you know, you go on your way, right? Um, here, in the body, we, we should generally care for one another when we ask someone, how are they doing? Um, hopefully you're ready for an answer that's more than just good, right? Struggling. With what? And then you pray for one another and you, and you edify one another. You exhort, right? You admonish if necessary. Um, so also you can tell the elders things that are encouraging, but also the ways that you need prayer and counsel. Uh, number two is cultivate and persevere unity in the body. Paul wrote about this to the Philippians when he said, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose. And that's Philippians 2, 1 and 2. When by God's grace, those in the church are seeking peace with one another and displaying brotherly affection, it creates a calming and joyful atmosphere for everyone. James wrote, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. It's James 3.18. That kind of congregation is a great encouragement to its leaders. Some refer to those acting in this spirit-filled way as, as shock absorbers. 
they are the ones that keep things smooth when times are kind of getting a little rough and bumpy. Um, the question is, how can we promote unity by being shock absorbers as a body, as, as healthy members? Well, that's, that's what this whole Sunday school series has been about. To some, so some of these suggestions will sound maybe some familiar because we've gone over them, but it's good to refresh our minds and to um, remind us of what we've talked about earlier. Uh, first is act towards others in love. Act towards others in love. Remember what Peter writes, above all, Love each other deeply because love covers a what? Multitude of sins. That's 1 Peter 4, 8. Second, along those lines, remember in the midst of disagreement that while our opinions are temporary, the people with whom we disagree are eternal. Remember we talked, I think it was last week or the week before, remember who you're talking to and other members um, are saved they're saints, they're bought with Christ's blood, and they are eternal beings. So if we view them in that way, that will help us with how we interact with one another. Uh, be careful in the midst of disagreement that you do not tempt a brother or sister to sin in anger and resentment. Thirdly, encourage others to trust the leaders. Yes, we the leaders aren't perfect, but, the members, but members should still be biased towards trust, not cynicism. That's a, that's a tough one sometimes, um, to be inclined to trust instead of inclined to dis, be cynic, be a cynic, right? When someone comes to you with a concern about the decision of a church leader and you happen to know the reasoning behind that decision, you can explain it to them. Um, if you don't know or if a better explanation doesn't alleviate their concern, you should encourage them to what? Go talk with the leaders. Speak directly to that person. Because otherwise things fester, right, if you let it sit. So you want to you go talk to them and kind of hash it out, right, if needed. Uh, number three, pray for church leaders. This is a big one, and someone had said this earlier. In 2 Corinthians 1, 10 and 11, Paul writes, On him, that is Christ, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This passage reminds us of two reasons why we should pray regularly, regularly for church leaders. First, they've been given a daunting task to act in human weakness to shepherd a congregation of sinful people. So in spite of the individual's weakness, we're still called to do something that's greater than us. So prayer is, is quite big. But additionally, we should pray for church leaders so that we may rejoice and thank God when our prayers are answered. Then we'll be awed by God's power and experience the joy that is ours in Christ. Fourthly, express your love for them. Later in 2 Corinthians, Paul describes how this felt for him as a minister. He says, for when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcasts, comfort us, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. 
He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. What an amazing turnaround Paul describes here. He goes from this body of ours had no rest to my joy was greater than ever by the end of that portion of scripture. Consider the fact that your encouragement might be God's comfort to a leader who is struggling with discouragement. And if you're not the type who's often making encouraging comments, um, just so you know, your, your words will probably mean a little bit more. Um, because if, if you're not that type of person, if you're not the encourager, and you go to that person, um, it, it, it means a lot. Okay? Number five, seek their counsel and gratefully accept their reproof. The advice of church leaders, whether solicited or unsolicited, should be a valuable part of every church member's life. Part of our job as shepherds is to identify and address problems in the lives of the flock before they become damaging. Two components on this point here. First, remember that for either counsel or reproof to be, spe um, to be specific and well-conceived, leaders must know what's going on in the lives of their members. It is a good habit to make sure that at least one church leader is aware of what you're struggling with, with what big decisions are going, are going to be on the horizon maybe in your life, and what's discouraging you as well. So talk regularly with church leaders, both the elders and, and the deacons as well. And of course, treat godly rebuke as precious and worthy of careful consideration. As we read in Proverbs 9.8, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. If you reprove a wise man, he will love you. Okay? Pray that God would grow in all of us a maturity in Christ so that we'll react posit positively to reproof when it's offered rather than defensively. I know it's, that's a, it's a work that all of us need to, to work on, right? And, and that's called sanctification, um, being formed into the image and likeness of Christ by his truth. So, yes, act positively to reproof instead of defensively. Um, number six, believe the best about their character and decisions. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, Paul writes, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Let me read to you a paragraph from Mark and Swavely's book that I mentioned earlier since it captures the point from Scripture pretty well here. Um, here's the quote. Though we are always prone to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, our sinful flesh has a strong tendency to be suspicious, skeptical, and even cynical toward others. This is especially true of church leaders. Many members make a regular habit of enjoying roast preacher at their Sunday meal. And labels like power trip are often carelessly tossed around when difficult decisions are made by leadership. But biblical love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 7, believes all things and hopes all things. So a loving member will assume the best about his leaders and trust them until some clear words or actions will cause him legitimate concern about their wisdom or motives, end quote. It's a pretty, pretty good quote. 
We should trust our leaders when we do not have clear reasons to the contrary. Do not, though it is so difficult, believe the murmuring, the complaining, and the gossip of others. This will bias your heart toward your leaders in a positive way. You should work hard not to presume you know the leader's motives unless there is some objective basis for doing so. So often we don't get upset by what's done, but by why it's done. Which, of course, is totally presumptive unless the person tells us why they did something. Right? Assuming you know motives is, is dangerous. So, often decisions are made about which we have incomplete knowledge. It is dangerous to place much confidence in our opinion of what should have been done without any conversation with church leaders. And it's hazardous to presume sinful reasons for why things were done. Only God knows the heart of a man. We should never presume that we understand their motives. Okay? In believing the best about your leaders, give them the benefit of the doubt and go to them when you need clarification. When others come to you with a complaint or a disagreement, bring them with you to the elder and seek understanding. This is a fitting place to discuss godly criticism of our church leaders. So we as leaders are human beings. We are imperfect just like everyone else. So remember to be humble, please, loving and kind when you approach a leader with appropriate constructive criticism. Be prayerful and cautious that you aren't being overly critical or coming forward with criticism too frequently. Remember that there are occasions which do call for godly criticism and you should never abandon your responsibility in this area as a church member. Remember this section of our church covenant. It says, we will live in peace, affectionately watching over one another by admonishing the idle, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, and being patient with all. It applies to church leaders just as much as it does to church members, doesn't it? We should work hard to cultivate a culture where we lovingly and patiently watch over one another and where criticism is given carefully but invited freely. You see that balance? Um, we should all know that when we come to one another, it should not be out of spite, right? But if we see something biblically that's incorrect in someone's life, that we come in love and we come with grace and we, we point them to scripture. Um, and so whether it's solicited or unsolicited, uh, the brother or sister should have a genuine desire to help, help you, correct? Okay. Remember Proverbs 25.11 says, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So six ways we can obey the scriptural command to respect those who serve us as leaders, particularly the elders, and to make their work a joy is one, walk in obedience to Christ. Two, cultivate and persevere unity. Three, pray for the church leaders. Four, express your love for them. Five, seek their counsel and accept their reproof. And six, trust their character and decisions. And I can't end this section without saying that I know we have gone through a lot of change over the last two years. Uh, yeah, that's, that's obvious and apparent. 
So please, please know that the leaders of this church are working hard behind the scenes to care for the flock of God here at Pacific Hope Church. We all re constantly remind each other as elders that this is not our church. This is, this is God's church. So we, the elders and deacons, are dependent on the Lord to help lead this church specifically. And we praise God for many of you who regularly do these six things that we're talking about. And God uses your encouragement to us and to lift us up when much opposition seeks to tear us down. So I want to encourage you all. So thank you if you are those people. Um, is there any questions before we move on? All right. So third bullet point, what do we do when we disagree? What do we do? The second part of our class is what we should do when we disagree with church leadership or the church elders. Inevitably, there will be times for all of us when the elders make decisions we don't agree with. Our response will go a long way toward either promoting unity or fostering dissent. If you're a member, you may recall from the membership class a helpful diagram that we spoke about. One with an axis measuring how clear the answer to a particular question is and the other measuring its seriousness. I mean, it's in your handout if you have one, and I'm going to refer to it um, for the remainder of our class here. So starting in the upper left quadrant, we have those things that are clear in scripture but not serious. Honestly, it's hard to think of anything that's in this category. If God decides something is important enough to be clear on in the Bible, we should listen. Amen? Um, moving to the lower left, we have matters that are neither serious or clear. For example, which brand of photo photocopier should we purchase? How long should the preacher give us to reflect on a message after he's preached? Um, it may be a good idea to have spirit, spirited discussions on these issues, but a church will do well to submit to the decisions of its leaders in these things. If you have an opinion about such an issue, you can, you can come talk to us, but never in a way that's clamorous or, or divisive. Church unity is far more important than our preferences and opinions in these matters. Amen? We all have our own preferences, and we all have our own ideas of how things should be done. And if it's not done that way, it, it's chafing, right, to us. Um, and now for the two quadrants on the right, where the questions get more challenging. What about issues that are serious but not clear? For example, we should recognize someone, should we recognize someone as an elder? That's a big one. In these types of situations that a congregation um, should listen carefully to their elders and give them the benefit of the doubt. This is why God has placed them over us. Now, that doesn't mean that some of the decisions are not difficult for the church to accept. That's not at all what we're saying here. So how do we disagree in a godly way about things where there the answer is far from clear. Uh, but the implications for us as a church are serious. Um, so here's a few suggestions. First, we should recognize that every member has an important role to play, and it's to bring information to the elders. Number one, the elders aren't always aware of every single thing that's going on in every need in the church, nor do they have perfect information all the time. So let's take, for example, when the elders bring before the church candidates for elders and deacons. If there's biblical reason for you to be against this 
person's nomination, it is important for you to bring this information to the elders so they can reconsider their decision, amen? That's what we're called to do as members. Second, if you disagree with the decision that the leadership has made, sit down and talk with them to understand their reasoning. This is a big one. The elders are willing and eager to do this, I promise you, if you come to us. They, they see their spiritual care for the congregation as their highest duty in the church is what we're called to do as elders. So give yourselves full opportunity to be persuaded by them and approach the matter with a teachable spirit as well. All right, this is not to get your agenda across, um, but if you're bringing something to us that's, that we need to hear, we, we will listen. Uh, perhaps you ask, what if I'm intimidated by the elders? How can I engage in this kind of conversation? Well, in the long run, counter that feeling by getting to know the leadership better, number one. Um, in the short term, you should probably talk with them anyway about your concern as well. Though some, sometimes having a conversation first with another church leader, maybe as a deacon, if, you, if you're more comfortable with them, and then come with them to us. Um, we hopefully, we, we pray that we're not standoffish. Um, if we are, you know, that's something that we need to work on. Um, you know, more, more love and, and grace. Um, that's something that's been, been worked on me for these last couple of years as well. Um, so yeah, we're, we are ready and willing and eager to do this. So please, um, even af in, after talking to the elders, you still disagree on a matter in this category and that's okay. It's okay. Every Christian is not going to agree on everything all the time. You can trust them and disagree all at the same time. This is really where the rubber hits the road in regard to following that verse, Hebrews 13, 7. It is one thing to obey leaders when you're enthusiastic and think that they have a great idea. It's another thing to submit to them when you disagree and their decision as well. In the second case, we submit because we are acting in faith. By faith, we trust Christ himself to rule over us by his word and spirit and through his leaders. And on this point, let me just say that this is what the elders are called to do when they have disagreement with one another. They are called to submit to the majority of the elders. There will be a time when every elder will be in the minority and, ha and vote on a certain issue, and this has already happened um, in, amongst one another. In those circumstances, that elder is called to submit to the majority of the elders, trusting that God is working through the elders in the vote. So if one of the elders comes out on the short end of the vote, he needs to let that go. And, and like I said, this has happened and will, will happen in the future. He doesn't continue to lobby support after the vote, hold a grudge against the other elders um, that didn't see it his way. No elder has more voting power than the other. They have shared authority and will give an account to God for those under their care. So our elders are doing their best to model submission to the congregation by in this way as well, okay? So thirdly, be careful how you discuss the issue with others. For issues in this category of serious but unclear, our unity as a church will bring greater glory to Christ than, making, than the making of optimal decisions. Do not go behind the elders lobbying support in the congregation and try to overturn their decision. That is, um, that is ungodly. 
Do not deride the elder's decision in your conversation with others and so risk making it more difficult them for them to trust the elders. Now that's spreading. Do not be responsible for putting a stumbling block before your brother or sister. And finally, when others attempt to deride leadership in conversations with you, explain to them that they should talk directly to the elders if they have a concern. That there are good and bad ways to critique those decisions as well, okay? So now let's consider the last category on the matrix where the issues are clear and also serious. It's on the issues of discipline and doctrine where the apostles appeal in the New Testament for the church to act. This is where the church acts. Would the church at Corinth continue to accept in its fellowship a man in serious sin? Would the churches of Galatia add to the requirements of the gospel? Here, the congregation must act in these situations. At this point, the reputation of Christ will be better served by our are sticking to the right answer than through visible unity here, okay? Scripture is scripture, and we must adhere to the truth. And how can we fulfill our biblical role as a congregation while caring tenderly for the reputation of Christ in our midst and the souls of those whom we disagree? So here's a few bullet points. First, a church is not a place for secret campaigning and canvassing. If a member of the congregation feels that the elders are crossing a line of discipline or doctrine, he or she should first be clear with the elders. Hopefully that's a theme here, right? Going to the person, it's, it's the biblical standard of Matthew 18. You go to the person. Um, so go to the elder with what they're, they're doing and bring scripture to support your, your stance. If you got a problem, it should be what someone is doing versus what scripture says. And then you can bring that scripture and saying, this is what scripture says, and this is, looks like what you're doing. And then you can have a conversation about it, right? Second, if there's an issue in this category while, where the elders are advocating a clearly unbiblical position, this is a good time to seek the counsel of godly leaders, maybe from other churches as well. Preferably those who know this church and its elders well. Uh, we all know Patrick Cho from Lighthouse Bible Church. He's a friend of our church and cares about each and every one of you and our gospel witness as a church. Um, if the elders have collectively gone wayward on matters of discipline and doctrine, it's time for the church to seek godly counsel from other church leaders like Patrick who defend biblical discipline and doctrine. Okay, this is, that's where you bring other men of God who you know and trust in um, to admonish and reprove leaders. Thirdly, we must take great care to protect the name of Christ. In the midst of what may well be a heartbreaking disagreement. Sometimes you read a story in the paper that church members have contacted outside media about a disagreement in their church. Presumably to rally support and place pressure on their opponents. It's appalling. Um, this is a very worldly view. The Apostle Paul scolded the church at Corinth. Do you remember? for taking disagreements between the church members to civil court. Imagine how he would have reacted at the trumpeting of the disagreement of an entire church to the world at large. More importantly, though, think of how God views such tactics as well. The reputation of Christ must be paramount in our minds. 
We must take no action, speak no word, regardless of the circumstances that would ever defame Christ's name in the eyes of the world around us. Even more than the unity of our church, Christ is to be our joy and our treasure. That trumps everything. There are times when members come to the elders seeking their own desires and do not appreciate being exhorted with God's desires laid out in scripture. This has happened and probably will happen in the future. They can at times respond to the elders in the flesh and hurl false accusations against the elders because they were not given what their flesh desired. We as a church must be careful to protect the name of Christ and gospel witness in his church. We must do our due diligence in vetting rumors and accusations by bringing them to the leaders and giving them opportunity to address the matter. So let's all take hope in the amazing way that God has preserved us as a body through the transitions that have taken place over the last couple of years. If you step back and look, um, God has been faithful every single step of the way, hasn't he? And let's rejoice that God's purpose, purposes will triumph regardless of our behavior. God is sovereign over all things, right? Do, when we sing whatever God ordains is right, do we believe it? He is sovereign over his church and it will prevail in spite of sinners, in spite of all of us, right? So is there any questions before we move on and we wrap up? Good? So I'll close with the words of an elderly pastor, Edward Griffin, speaking to his church on his retirement. These words are, uh, these are words that will, that will do well and heed in regard to those God has given us as leaders. And so here's the quote, it's from 1809. For your own sake and your children's sake, cherish and revere him whom you have chosen to be your pastor. Already he loves you, and he will soon love you as bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. It will be equally your duty and your interest to make his labors as pleasant to him as possible. Do not demand too much. Do not require visits too frequently. Should he spend in this way half of the time which some demand, he must wholly neglect his studies, if not sink early under the burden. Do not report to him all the unkind things which may be said against him, nor frequently in his presence allude to opposition, if opposition should arise. Though he is a minister of Christ, consider that he has feelings of a man. End quote. So that's from Edward Griffin, a tearful farewell from a faithful pastor. So may we, as a, as a body and as members of this church, bring glory to Christ through such care of, of its elders and one another. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these scriptures. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth and that Christ came down and became flesh and walked among us. Lord, and, and changed the hearts and minds of, of those who he called his. Lord, thank you for giving us salvation and for drawing us to yourself as well. Help us rest in your scripture and your scripture alone and the truth that it has. Lord, knowing that we don't stand up here and make this stuff up, Lord, but we preach your word and I pray that we continue to preach your word faithfully. 
Lord, give us the words to exhort it, your truth to your people, so that it edifies them, that it exhorts them, that it sanctifies them, and it saves lost souls. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you all.